Hi everyone, welcome to our online service. Uh, it's great that you can join in again today. Uh, well, I trust that the Lord is keeping you and sustaining you in this time and that you're looking to Him uh, for strength. Uh, let's, let's actually remind ourselves why we're here today and uh, why we exist uh, from Psalm 105. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. So remember the wonders he has done. Do you know that is such a central aspect of living uh, for God's glory, remembering the wonders he has done. What is the greatest wonder God has done? It's the sending of his own son to be our saviour, to save us from our sin. Remember the wonders he has done. You know, we're going to think more about that today uh, in the message from uh, 2 Peter. Uh, last week, we began a, a four-part study of 2 Peter, which is all about pursuing godliness in light of the second coming. And I trust this series will encourage you uh, in your pursuit. Uh, it's a lifelong pursuit, uh, which feels slow at times, uh, can sometimes feel very difficult, and sometimes we even see setbacks. Uh, and yet we have this encouragement uh, from Second Peter to pursue godliness, uh, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And particularly, uh, Peter reminds us of the second coming of Christ, uh, that we're to keep our eyes fixed on, on that reality. <clears throat> well, let's commit our time to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our hearts do rejoice because you are the God who is holy. You are the God whose name is glorious. Uh, you are the God who has done wonders. We praise you for the many wonders that you have done. We praise you for your creation, for it testifies to your power and to your greatness. We praise you for your providence uh, that testifies to your wisdom and your sovereignty. And we praise you for your salvation that testifies to your justice and to your mercy. Oh, Father, we praise you for the wonderful God that you are. Uh, we just ask now that in the hearing and preaching of your word, uh, that you would work in us what is pleasing to you, that you would reshape our minds according with the, to the truth of the gospel, that you would reshape our hearts with love and gratitude as we reflect on the wonderful Saviour that we have in Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. Well, the message today is from 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, verses 12 to 21. Uh, so if you have a Bible, open it up to that passage. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes about from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the Word of God. There's something about humanity that makes us prone to being complacent about things that are important. Uh, For example, we're in a pandemic, so hygiene is extremely important. Um, But despite how obvious that is, the government feels it necessary to constantly remind us through uh, advertisement after advertisement to make sure that we wash our hands and uh, cough, cover our mouths when we cough. Um, They they seem to think that we will forget these basic facts, uh, that we will become complacent. Or another example, driver safety. Uh, It should be pretty obvious that if you put people into tin boxes that can travel 100k an hour down a road, that, that, that's pretty dangerous. And so you'd think it'd be obvious that we are constantly thinking about our safety, and yet we so often become complacent about road safety. I, I recently heard a story or a report of someone being uh, reported uh, for catching up on a Netflix episode while they were driving. Uh, it seems that part of our humanness uh, is to fall into complacency about things that are important. And you see, if that's true with our health, and if that's true with our safety, then it's equally true when it comes to the facts of the faith. Uh, it is easy to become complacent about what we know is true, and to lose that sense of urgency about bringing our lives in conformity with uh, the truth. And so we need constant reminders. And you can see that theme right through Scripture. All the way through, whenever God does some saving act, he gets his people to set up a reminder. And so straight after the, well, in, with the, the Exodus, uh, he got them to have the Passover meal. And that, they were to remember that every year. Uh, think of the piles of rocks that Joshua had to set up when God brought the people into the promised land. Or think of the book of Deuteronomy. It's virtually just one big speech from Moses reminding the people of what God has done and and urging them to not forget uh, what the Lord has done. And so a big part of living as a Christian is the need for constant reminders of the gospel uh, because we are prone to complacency. Now, Peter's second letter is in many ways just another one of these reminders Uh, Because this letter, it's about the need to pursue godliness in light of the second coming. 
But in this letter, Peter only reminds his readers of what they already know. He doesn't tell them anything new. He just reminds them what they already know. And that's essentially what he explains in this passage that we're looking at today. Uh, This passage, it teaches us that in order to persevere in godliness, in order to keep going in pursuing godliness, we need reminders of the truth and we need to remember the certainty of the truth of the gospel. So that's our two points. Let's look at them. Uh, First, we need reminders of the truth. That's in verses 12 to 15. Uh, Do you notice that three times in this section that Peter mentions that his purpose is simply one of reminder. So have a look at verse 12. Verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Uh, Verse 13, he says, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. He goes on to say how he's uh, pretty certain that he's going to die soon. And so verse 15, 15, he says, I'll make every effort so that after my departure, after my death, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So remember, remember, remember. Uh, He he says the same thing two more times in the start of chapter three. Uh, This is the purpose of this letter. In it, Peter is not telling them anything that they don't already know. He's just recall, he's reminding them of what they are already established in the truth that they already have. Uh, He's not reminding them about opinions or, or speculations or helpful tips or the latest fads. He's reminding them of the truth, the truth that God had revealed to the apostles and the people had received and had embraced. The truth of the gospel, it's this truth that they had received and was to now to grow in their lives in godliness. Now, as we'll see next week, this was especially urgent because Peter's Peter's readers had false teachers spring up among them who were trying to lead them astray. And so already Peter is laying out the way to avoid being being led astray, which is simply to remember the truth, to go back to what you were established in. Um, But this passage also looks back to the last passage, because if you have a look at verse 12, See how it begins with therefore, right? So what Peter is saying in verses 12 to 21 is in light of the previous passage, which if you remember last week, it was about how Christ's power not only saves us from our sin, but also enables us to escape the corruption of the sinful nature and to live like God, you know, godliness. Uh, So... We've been saved for godliness and the way to maintain that pursuit of godliness is by recalling, uh, remembering this very truth that we've been saved for this purpose because we are prone to complacency. Uh, We are complacent when it comes to godliness. Uh, In some ways, we're like those, uh, you know, those glow-in-the-dark toys that you can get, Um, I have a glow-in-the-dark toy on my bedside table. And the reason for that is my two youngest, they get a real kick out of decorating my room uh, with children's toys. And so if I go to my wardrobe, here's this balloon hanging on the door handle. 
at night when I go to hop in bed, here's a teddy named Fluffly waiting uh, for me uh, there. And so there's always toys. Now, a while back, this glow-in-the-dark plastic star suddenly appeared on my bedside table, which I've actually found is pretty handy because now I can see my um, water bottle in the night, but only at the start. Because as the night goes along, that plastic star, it gets dimmer and dimmer until it's no longer glowing. And uh, that's often what it's like, that's often what we're like when it comes to the truth of the gospel. You know, we can hear uh, a stirring sermon or, or read a really good book or have a great conversation with a friend. And, you know, we can be really stirred up uh, to want to live differently as a result. And yet a day or two later, or maybe a week later, that initial glow starts to get dim. And uh, what is that? That is the weakness of our flesh. Now, sometimes it's a willful forgetfulness. Sometimes we choose not to remember the gospel and go our own way. But if it's willful or not, if it's just pure weakness of forgetting, what's the answer? The answer is you need stirring up by way of reminder. And that's what Peter is doing here. And that is such an important part of living the Christian life. I mean, I hope that's how you think of your Bible reading, daily Bible reading. Why do we need to read the Bible every day? Well, if Apart from the fact that it's God's word and, you know, if we're in a relationship with him, that's how he communicates to us. Now, that, that's obviously the main reason. But here's another reason. We need reminding. We need stirring up constantly. And so daily Bible reading is a part of growing in godliness, having this constant reminder uh, of the gospel. Uh, I hope you tune into preaching like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but... Um, Bill and I aren't up here every, you know, week after week telling you brand new things that you've never heard before. Occasionally that might happen, but most of the time, what are we doing? We're simply telling you what you already know. Or probably, to put it a better way, we're, we're trying to take you deeper into what you already have. You have the gospel. That's the power to salvation. That's the power to grow as a Christian. And so what do you need? You need to be stirred up by way of reminder, reminder of the gospel. I hope you think of Christian fellowship like this as well. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, a great verse on fellowship. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so, this verse is reminding us that we need spurring on from one another. We need that encouragement from one another and we need to give that encouragement to others. Now, obviously, it's a little bit hard at the moment when we can't actually gather together uh, each Lord's Day. And so we've got to look for more creative ways of doing that at the moment. Um, my preference is um, the phone, ringing people up. Uh, but it, it does remind us that, that we need stirring up we need to stir each other up with reminding each other of the gospel. Why? Because we are prone to wander. We are weak. Uh, we are fallen. We're not yet glorified. And so we need reminding of the truth, stirred up by way of reminder. 
Okay, not only do we need the reminder of the truth, but we need to remember the certainty of the truth of the gospel. And uh, that's what Peter goes on to demonstrate in the rest of um, this passage. So in verses 16 to 21, uh, here Peter demonstrates that the truth of the gospel, that it is actually true, that it's something that is absolutely reliable. You can stake your life on the gospel. Uh, How do we know it's true? Well, Peter gives us two pieces of evidence here, two reasons why we can be completely confident that the message of Jesus, you know, his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life in him, he's coming again. We can be certain that it's all true because of two reasons. And here are the reasons. The first one, it's in verses 16 to 18. And this first reason is the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. So have a look at verse 16. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, the particular truth that Peter has in mind here is the truth of the second coming of Jesus. I mean, that's what he means here in verse 16, where he talks about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. This is Jesus' powerful coming. You know, he came the first time in humility and weakness to go to the cross. He comes again in power and glory for judgment. And the rest of the letter shows that false teachers were criticizing belief in the second coming. Uh, Chapter 3, Peter says that they were scoffing, saying, where is this coming he promised? Here in verse 16, it sounds like they were saying that the second coming is nothing but a cleverly devised myth. Uh, Maybe they even argue that the apostles made it up um, just to scare people into conformity. I mean, you even hear that criticism today. People say, um, you know, the, the church made up the doctrine of judgment day just to control people. Well, how can we know that the second coming of Jesus is actually true? How can we be certain? And Peter's first piece of evidence is this. He says, I saw something with my own eyes that confirms that Jesus is coming again. What did he see? Have a look at verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter is talking about the event that we call the transfiguration. That's that time when Jesus took Peter, James and John up a mountain and up on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. You know, remember his, his face shone like the sun. His clothes were dazzling white. It was almost like the veil was removed. And, and for a moment, the, the, um, Peter, James and John, they got to see the glory of Jesus as he really is in all of his glory. Now, what does that have to do with the second coming, though? I mean, that's what Peter's proving here. How, how does that prove that the second coming is true? And the answer is the transfiguration was actually a preview of what Jesus would look like when he comes again in power. Now, it's almost like um, when you see a movie trailer, when you see a movie trailer, you know that the movie is coming out because you've seen the trailer. 
Uh, you've seen a preview. And the transfiguration was like that. It was a preview of what Jesus would look like when he comes in power. And the voice of the Father, you know, the, the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, with him I am well pleased, that wasn't just a nice saying. That was the Father actually quoting Psalm 2 verse 7 and Isaiah 42 verse 1, which are predictions of the Messiah coming in power to judge the nations. And so that was God the Father audibly declaring that this is the Messiah. This is the world's king. This is the coming judge. It's Jesus. And so not only did Peter see the preview of what Jesus would look like, but he even heard the Father saying, yes, he is coming. Uh, it was They saw and heard a preview. They were eyewitnesses and earwitnesses. You know, if they had a smartphone, they could, uh, they could get it out and, you know, film it and post it to social media. Hashtag coming soon. They were eyewitnesses. Now, before forensic science came about and um, CCTV, how could you establish if some event was true? You know, how could you establish that a claim was true? You would have to rely on eyewitness testimony. I mean, in court cases, that's how they determined the facts. That's how they still determine facts today. Eyewitnesses. And that's what Peter is saying about the coming of Jesus. How do we know it's true? Eyewitness testimony. And this is what makes the Christian gospel so different from all of the other religions of the world and all of the other myths. See, other religions are not dependent on historical events in the way that the gospel is. <clears throat> other religions are actually rooted in philosophical ideas. Do you know you could take another religion, remove any historical reference, and it wouldn't actually change the religion uh, because it's not, it's not based on historical facts. It's based on philosophical ideas. And so with that, there's actually no way to, to, uh, to test the validity of it. But see, Christianity is different. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not, an it's not just an ethical system. It's not nice stories made up to teach moral lessons. Christianity <clears throat> is actually an announcement of an historical event that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he rose again, and that he is now glorified as the transfiguration gave that preview of that. And so if all of that is true, if Peter actually saw it, then why would we doubt that he's coming again? We have the evidence that we need. In fact, Peter was so adamant about this. He was so adamant that, that Jesus is coming again in power that he would sooner die than deny this. And essentially that's what happened. Because what is to Peter? It's Peter's letter, final letter, that he wrote most likely from a prison cell before he was executed, which as tradition says, he was crucified upside down by Nero. Why? Because he proclaimed the gospel and would not recant what he saw and heard with his own eyes and ears. 
This is one reason why you can be sure of the gospel. It's one reason why you can be sure that Jesus is coming again, because we have eyewitness testimony to this truth. The apostolic eyewitness testimony, that's one reason. The other reason that you can be sure that Peter points to here, uh, the second piece of evidence is the word of the scriptures. So that's in verses 19 to um, 21. If you have a look at that, uh, verse 19, Peter says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So the prophetic word in this case is the Old Testament scriptures. So verse 20 shows us that. Uh, the Old Testament testifies to the coming of Jesus in power. Uh, and that, that prophecy, that, that prediction, Peter says that the transfiguration makes that more fully confirmed. What does he mean by that? He's simply saying that the prediction of Jesus coming in power has already been fulfilled in a preview form. You know, in that the, the, the apostles saw the glory and power of Jesus. But the final coming of Jesus in power when he comes to judge the nations. That's predicted in scripture and it's still to come. Now, I don't know if you feel the weight of that evidence that the coming of Jesus is predicted in scripture. Why is that such weighty evidence? Well, Peter tells us in verses 20 to 21, he says, knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit carried along by the holy spirit so peter is saying here that the bible is the word of god <laughs> it's not something that that people just made up. It's not like the, the prophets, um, you know, had a, an interesting dream one night and thought, mm, maybe God's saying something there and made something up. It's not like that. Peter is saying that the, the, the word of the prophets, the Old Testament, was something that originated from God himself. Uh, Peter says that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that word carried along it's actually a word that's used to describe how a boat glides across the water, a sailboat. Uh, the wind carries it along. And that's the word that Peter uses to talk about that when the prophets wrote scripture, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right? So just as a boat can't go anywhere if, if it doesn't have any wind, so the prophets had nothing to say without God, God's Spirit carrying them along as they wrote. And so what, what they actually wrote is exactly what God wanted them to write. It is God's word. That's the result. So what we have here in, in the Bible is the word of God. And that's what Peter is teaching here. The Bible is the word of God. And so if God himself tells us plainly in his word that Jesus is coming again in power, if that's God's word, then we can be certain that's the case. Do you know why? Because God doesn't make mistakes and God doesn't lie. And so if God has told us plainly that Jesus is coming again, then we can be certain that that will happen. This is why Peter goes on to say uh, back in verse 19, uh, to which you will do well to pay attention 
um, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What does that mean? Well, the dawning day and the morning star, that's a reference to the future coming of Jesus. So rising in our hearts, that, that refers to the excitement that we will have when we actually see Jesus face to face. But until that day comes, we are essentially in the dark. I mean, we can't see uh, what's happening. But Peter says we have this lamp shining in the dark. What is the lamp? It's the scriptures. The scriptures point us to Jesus. Uh, They're the light to guide the way, pointing to the Lord. And when we see in the scriptures that Christ is coming, that assures us that, yes, this is true, because this is God's word. And so our certainty of the second coming rests on the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and the promise of God's word. Now, remember the purpose of this reminder. Why is Peter telling them how certain the truth of the gospel is? Well, remember, he's urging his readers to pursue godliness. That's the purpose for which we're saved. We're saved, why? For God's glory. And God's glory is magnified when our lives reflect his likeness. And so godliness is what we're saved for. Godliness is the evidence that we have been saved. But here we learn that in order to pursue godliness, we need reminder. We need to be stirred up by reminders of the gospel. Nothing else will produce a life pleasing to God other than this message, this powerful message. You know, like Romans says, um, the gospel is the power to salvation. And the gospel is the power to all that salvation entails. You know, a transformed life. That's why we're saved. It's the gospel that is the power to that end. And so it's only when we're reminded of that truth, that's what stirs us into action. And here we actually see in Second in Peter that the second coming is actually a very vital part of the gospel. Uh, in this letter, that's what Peter focuses on. The second coming. Peter says that the second coming is a motivation to live a godly life. Now, other books of the Bible talk about the cross being the motivation. You know, when we think about what it cost Jesus to save us and we think about uh, you know, what he has done for us, the, that incredible act of love to lay down his life for our sin. When we think about that, that motivates us to want to live differently. We don't want to live in sin anymore. Not after Jesus had to die to pay for our sin. So the cross is the motivation, but so is our hope, the second coming. Why is that the hope? Because when we know that Jesus is coming again, when you know that you will see him in power and glory, when you know that you're going to stand before him and see his, sun, his face shining like the sun, his clothes dazzling white like Peter got the preview of on the mountain, when you know that that's what you will see, Jesus in all of his glory, when he comes again, doesn't that make you think, why would I want to keep living an ungodly life? I mean, how inconsistent is it to think that one day I'm going to stand before this glorious king? How inconsistent is it to just go on living as if we were the our king of our own life? That doesn't work. I mean, if you know you're going to see Jesus in all of his glory, then that's what will motivate you to want to live now for his glory because of who he is. And so when, when you find yourself drifting into complacency, 
Like surely you, you can see that happening in your life sometimes. You know when it's happening. You know that you don't have that same enthusiasm. Uh, perhaps your Bible reading slips. Um, you don't pray much. When you feel yourself slipping into that complacency, when that temptation comes to think, maybe, maybe it doesn't matter how I live. You know, maybe all of this stuff about Jesus and the Bible and all that, maybe it's just someone's opinion. When those temptations come along, what do you need? You need to remember the certainty of the gospel, the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, the promise of God's word. It is certain. And so we need to remember that Jesus is coming because that is the reality that puts everything else into perspective. And so to finish, I wonder where in your life are you most likely to forget the truth of the gospel? Where do you need to especially remind yourself of its certainty? So this week, when you are tempted to disobey God, tell yourself this, Jesus is coming. How should I be living in light of the fact that he is coming again? See, let the certainty of the gospel, let the certainty of the death of Jesus and resurrection and he's coming again, let that empower you to pursue a life of godliness. Amen. Well, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you for this wonderful hope of the second coming. We thank you that it's not an empty hope. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that it's grounded on the certainty of your promise in your word and the certainty of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. Oh, Lord, we praise you that we have this lamp shining in a dark place, that we have your word of truth. Help us to embrace it and to stake our lives on it. We pray that you would even use uh, this message today to stir us up, uh, that this reminder of, of how wonderful the gospel is, that that would stir us up to want to live for you. And Father, as we think about uh, the purpose of 2 Peter of reminding believers, we are reminded that we we are weak and helpless, that we are so prone to uh, wander and and prone to lose sight of the wonder of the gospel. Father, we acknowledge that we often get attracted to the things of the world or we get attracted to the, um, the lies of the evil one saying that that sin will be, ple- will be a pleasure, that we can enjoy uh, living in sin. And Lord, we acknowledge that sometimes we give in to that and our hearts just so easily grow cold towards you. And so we pray that you would forgive us for that. Forgive us for turning away. Forgive us for the times where we have sinned against you this past week. But we thank you for the cross, that that is the hope of our forgiveness, that Jesus has risen from the dead and And that that resurrection is your declaration that Jesus has triumphed over our sin and that our sins have been taken away and that we can be confident that when he comes again and we stand before him clothed in his righteousness, we know that we will stand. That judgment has been done already at the cross on Jesus in our place. And so we thank you that the future is one of hope, of anticipation and joy, that we can look forward to judgment day as a day of freedom, of being glorified like Jesus and of entering into that eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, we pray that you would um, yeah, continue to remind us of the certainty of the gospel, uh, continue to help us to spur each other on in this, uh, to make the most of all the ways in which we can keep
keep in contact with each other. Uh, we pray that you would protect us, Lord, from the evil one. Uh, we, we pray for our whole church, Father, that all of us would persevere in the faith, that this time in lockdown wouldn't be wasted, but rather that we would be growing each day, that we would be looking to you, that we would be going deeper into your word and growing in our, in our prayer life. And uh, Father, we pray that even in our own families that we would encourage and spur one another on. We pray for our country. We pray that this pandemic would end, uh, that uh, you would give wisdom to our leaders and uh, we pray that you would help us to be patient. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to close with um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 to 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. See you next week.